Welcome to any visitors here with us this morning, family and friends of uh, church family. Hope you feel welcome and enjoy uh, some time together with us in a hot cross bun afterwards. A couple of weeks ago, um, took Steph, our daughter, out to uh, go watch some sheepdog trials. It was the state championships held at Finnis. Um, I knew what I was preaching on. I'd chosen my theme for this morning, because Good Friday being the Good Shepherd. I thought it would make for some good professional development and uh, <laughs> some sermon research to go see some sheep and shepherds and some sheepdogs. Um, as we arrived, the trials were already underway, and one sheep, as you know as they are, prone to wander, um, had wandered in a big way. Uh, just as we got there, actually, they were trying to they get a whole mob of sheep to try to get this one sheep that had not just separated from the little mob it was in, but actually jumped the fence and ran away. <laughs> Maybe it thought the grass was greener on the other side, but to be honest, down at Finnis, uh, this end of after summer, there wasn't much of a green blade of grass to be seen at all. And you would have thought with a few dozen champion sheepdogs around, how could one sheep get away? But it did get away. Over the fence, through the car park, and straight out onto the road. Now you probably know the hymn, prone to wander, Lord I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, or if you don't know that one, thanks to Colin Buchanan, and maybe you've just read the scriptures, we all like sheep have gone astray, have turned everyone... I didn't want you to do it, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know, you can't do it now, can you? Everyone, we've all gone astray, like that sheep. Jump the fence, look for something better. And but a bit like that sheep at Finnis, when we, in our proneness, when we wander and go astray... And turn away from the Lord, leaving him, leaving his love. We might think we're heading to greener pastures. We might think there's something better, something that God's withholding from us. Even if it's only for the short term, there's something I want now, that immediate sense of gratification. But truth be told, we only ever end up on our own, dissatisfied, hungry, thirsty, and a bit like the sheep there, in a fair bit of danger, actually, aren't we? Away from the care and protection of our Lord. And maybe like that wandering sheep there that day, we're more likely to end up as lamb chops than finding any greener pasture to nibble on when we wander from the flock and from the good shepherd. You'll be pleased to know that one stray sheep uh, was caught by a strong and probably more shrewd than sprightly fellow by the looks of him. He did manage to capture the sheep and hurled him onto the back of his ute, not with much tenderness or care, to be honest, it wasn't his sheep after all, um, but he did get returned to the fold, the, the sheep. Did you know a single sheep's much harder to get to gather around than it is a whole mob? It's quite tricky just to round up one sheep. And yet Jesus tells the story, doesn't he, of the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes out to grab, to search and save the one lost one. More than that, Jesus himself, as we've already heard this morning, is the good shepherd. He's the one who's laid his life down for the sheep. Last Sunday, if you've been with us the last few weeks leading up to Easter, we've been going through a series, Name Above All Names, and Phil finished that off for us last week. Um, Thanks, Phil. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, he spoke on. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, the one who is worthy to open the scroll in the book of Revelation and unfold and reveal all of history and bring it to its right culmination and conclusion. 
He's the one who is slain from the foundation of the world. But this morning, this Good Friday, I don't want us to consider Jesus as the Lamb of God, as fitting as that might be, but as we've just sung and Naveen's led us well, we, I want us to consider Jesus as the shepherd, the good shepherd. The song we just sang actually said he, the Lamb of God became uh, the shepherd king. I want to put it to you this morning that the Lamb of God is the shepherd because he speaks about being a shepherd even back in John 10 as he lays his life down. He's the lamb and the shepherd at the same time. And if that sounds a bit confusing, uh, it might be, especially after seven weeks and last week looking at him as the lamb of God. But think of a diamond. If you've got a married lady nearby, have a look at her left hand and see if she's got an engagement ring on. Think of a diamond and all the different facets of a diamond, each one perfectly cut, reflecting the light, but all together actually bringing out the wonder and the glory of that rock, that diamond. Or if that image doesn't work for you, Naveen's introduced us to Psalm 23. Who wrote that? King David? What was David before he was a king? He was a shepherd. And then he was a king who, as a king, exercised shepherd-like qualities with the flock of Israel. But he writes that psalm, doesn't he? The Lord is my shepherd. So here's the great shepherd king David writing from the perspective of being a Sheep. A sheep who has the Lord as his shepherd. Even King David knew himself to be a sheep, a sheep in need of a shepherd. But one who, with the Lord as his shepherd, needed nothing and no one else. Knowing the Lord as his shepherd, I shall not want. I have everything I need. As the great preacher Charles Spurgeon reminds us, the position of that psalm is worthy of notice. Psalm 23 follows, guess what, psalm, children, what comes, up, what comes before 23? 22. And do you know Psalm 22? How does that start? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are no green pastures, Spurgeon says. There are no still waters on the other side of Psalm 23. It is only after we have read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that we come to the Lord is my shepherd. We must by experience, Spurgeon says, know the value of the blood shedding and the sword of God awakened against the shepherd, Zechariah's prophecy, before we shall be able truly to know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. In other words, it's only in the laying down of his life that we truly know the love of Christ and the tender care and protection of the Good Shepherd, the green pastures and quiet waters that he leads us to. And so if you've got your Bibles there, open up to John chapter 10, where we hear Jesus say that he is the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd, he says. The Good Shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Four times in the space of eight verses, Jesus says that, that he, he lays his life down for the sheep. You think he's trying to make a point if he's saying something four times in eight verses? The wonder he wants us to behold, the emphasis, the point he's trying to make is the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And when it says for there, it means on behalf of. Not merely as an example to the sheep, although it is that, 
It's not some unforeseen circumstance of him just fulfilling his duty as the shepherd. He was doing the best thing as a shepherd, but he lost his life in caring. No. Don Carson says, it's not to serve as an example, throwing himself off a cliff in some grotesque or futile display while bellowing, see how much I love you. You know the songs, I'll climb every mountain and cross every river just for you. No, it's not that. The assumption is the sheep are in mortal danger. Even more than that rogue sheep on the street in Finnis. And in their defence, the shepherd lays down his life such that by his death the sheep are saved. That and that alone is what makes him the good shepherd, according to John 10. Jesus highlights that point further by contrasting himself with other shepherds, the renter flock or renter shepherds in verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, the one who doesn't own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming. What does he do? He leaves the sheep and he flees, he runs off. And the wolf comes and snatches the sheep. The hired hands, they might come and go, they might do their job as shepherds really well until trouble comes, that is. They only need to see the wolf coming in the distance and they run away. Why? Because he sees his life as more precious than that of the sheep. Because as Jesus says... The hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. What's that say about the good shepherd? His sheep are precious to him. He cares for them. He loves them. Not only is he willing to lay down his life for the sheep, he actually does it. He cares for his sheep. More than that, he knows his sheep by name. I don't know if you've ever noticed when we've had a few babies in creche. haven't got too many at the moment. But back a few years ago, we had lots all at once. But did you ever notice when one of the babies would cry out, the mums would prick up their ears? And if need be, one of them, only one, would go and check the baby. They knew the cry of their baby. They knew the voice of their child. And she's the one who's able to go and give her child what she needs. We've got a, a walk that we do near home, about a half-hour walk up the hill and back, um, and it sort of goes through the middle of the town and up a hill and out into open country, and there's sheep and cattle on the open paddocks. And every now and then, if the season's right, some of the paddocks are full of either calves or sheep and their young lambs. And some of, the, some of the ewes have one or two, they might have twins. And you see this whole paddock full of sheep and all the little lambs. And they're bleating and barring away. It's quite a cacophony of sound, really. But it's quite amazing as you watch all these lambs and, and their mums around the place. They go up to one mum, no, not mine, they go to another, and the mum knows which lamb is hers. By the sound, by their smell, by their touch. They know their own. The good shepherd, Jesus, knows his sheep. And they know his voice. In fact, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, think about that, within the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit, just as the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father, he knows us as his sheep and we can know him. 
in the same way. That's amazing. That's how well he knows us and how intimate and together we are, the communion we have with the Good Shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Earlier in the same chapter, Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name. He leads them out and they follow him for they know his voice. Can you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Some of the children might. I shared it as a children's talk a couple of weeks ago. Jesus walking, Zacchaeus up in the trees. Jesus walks past, looks up. Zacchaeus, come down. How did Jesus know his name? He knows his sheep. Matthew, or the other disciples, when he called them to follow him and become fishers, he called them by name. They were his sheep. Of course he knows their name. What about Lazarus, the next chapter in John 11? Lazarus is dead four days, but even so he hears the voice of the shepherd calling his name, Lazarus, come out. And you might have heard it said, I think I've said it myself, it's lucky Jesus called Lazarus by name that day, otherwise all the dead would have come out of their tombs. But I wonder, just wonder, it's all speculation, if it wouldn't have been all the dead. He is the resurrection of life, but only those sheep who know the good shepherd hear his voice and follow him. Those who don't, those who think he's a stranger, they will flee the other way. And what about Mary on that resurrection morning? Goes to the tomb. It's empty. Where have they taken my Lord? Where have they put him? And a man appears. The gardener. Of course it's the gardener. Where have you put my Lord? Tell me and I want to go, I want to go just deal with his body, care for him. She doesn't recognize who it is, does she? Until that man says, Mary. Until he calls her name. Teacher! She recognizes him because she knows his voice. Because the good shepherd knows his sheep and calls them by name. Have you heard the voice? of the Good Shepherd? Can you remember that day when he called you by name? Have you heard him call your name? Are you following him to green pastures and still waters? He says, here there are other sheep, not of this fold, not of Israel, not of the Jews. I'm going to go to the nations and gather them. I'm going to call them by name too, because I know them all by name, your name, my name. He calls his sheep and he leads his sheep. And they follow him because they know his voice. The reason, Jesus says, we know his voice is because we are his And we're told a bit later, the Father has given his sheep to him. No one can snatch us from his hand. No matter how far we wander, no one can take us. Even though we may be prone to wander, and wander we do, those who are his will not be taken from him.
No threat, no danger, no enemy will cause this good shepherd to lose any of his sheep. He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. He won't flee when trouble comes. No, he follows us, the good shepherd. The end of Psalm 23, goodness and mercy will follow me, will pursue me all the days of my life. And how is it he's protected us? How is it he cares for us and shows us his love? He's laid down his life for the sheep. That's what makes him the good shepherd. Jesus himself said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus said the greatest of all acts of love is to lay down one's life for their friend. In similar fashion, Paul says in Romans 5, doesn't he? Scarcely will someone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. You might have heard the story of a man named Maximilian Kolbe. He was a parish, a Polish priest, arrested and eventually sent to Auschwitz in World War II. And one day there in the camp, three prisoners had escaped or appeared to have escaped. And so the guards, the commander said, right, I need ten men who are going to die. Three have escaped, ten are going to die. And he pulls them out, just out of a lineup. And one man is pulled out and he cries out, my wife, my children. And Maximilian Colby steps forward and says, I'll go, take me. The commander says, what's going on here? And Colby says, this man has family. Let him be. I'll go in his place. The commander doesn't mind as long as there's ten there. They're going to be starved to death. And the commander accepts Colby in the man's place. I don't know if I'll get his name right, but Franciszek Gajelsenek later said, because he survived the camp, I could only thank him with my eyes. I was stunned and could hardly grasp what was going on. The immensity of it. I, the condemned, was to live and someone else willingly and voluntarily offers his life for me. A stranger. Is this some dream? I was put back into my place without having had time to say anything to Maximilian Colby. I was saved. And I owe to him the fact that I could tell you all this. The news quickly spread round the camp and it was the first and last time that such an incident happened in the whole history of Auschwitz. Now, Maximilian Colby was canonised. He was made a saint in the Roman Catholic Church. At his service, Pope John Paul II said this, Maximilian did not die, but gave his life for his brother. Greater love has no man than this. And yet, we're told, aren't we, that God shows his love for us in this, that it was while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, God reconciled. It wasn't while we were friends, brothers of Jesus, that he died for us. It was while we were still sinners and enemies of God that the good shepherd laid his life down for us. 
He wasn't forced, he wasn't coerced, he wasn't tricked into dying for us. What does he say? You know, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord for us. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. While we were still not only wandering sheep, but willfully wandering sheep, the good shepherd laid his life down for us. And in doing so, Jesus loved us with a love even greater than the greatest love, didn't he? If the greatest love is to lay your life down for a friend, there's no love greater than laying your life down then for an enemy. He's just surpassed it all, hasn't he? Maybe that's what Paul says when it's a love that's incomprehensible, that surpasses knowledge. He knew all our weaknesses, our failings, our temptations, our sin, and loved us still and laid his life down for us. Such is the love of this good shepherd who knows his sheep and calls them by name. It's one of the reasons we're told, Jesus says, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay my life down. He doesn't, he's not forced, no one twists his arm, no one takes his life from him, he gives it up in love, right to the end. Did you notice that in our reading from John this morning? He dies there between two thieves, and he dies actually too early, really, doesn't he? As we read the Easter stories, that when they try to hurry things along and break the legs of those that are crucified, so they finally give up their last breath and they come to Jesus, he's already dead. Why? Because of his wounds? Because he's exhausted from carrying his cross and all the torment that he... No. He's already dead because, as the Gospels make clear to us, he laid down his life. He gave up his spirit on his own accord, by his own authority, wasn't taken from him right to the end even when he called out I thirst not simply because he was thirsty but knowing that all had been finished he said to fulfill the scripture I thirst and he takes the wine and the thirst he has there is something far greater than just a dry throat he's tasting the very dust of death but even there, having received the wine, it's him that says it's finished. He's the one who announces the end. He's the one who says it's done. It all comes to an end. His life is finished on his terms, no one else's. Not the Jews, not the Romans. And did you notice when it was all done, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. His head didn't drop and loll around because he was dead. Even his very last action is a deliberate one. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit, not to death, but entrusting himself, his spirit, to the Father. As the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep, in love for them, for us, and in love for his Father. We've got that image. Thanks, Jeff. I grew up in a church with some beautiful stained glass windows and this is not one of them. couldn't find the one I was thinking about, but 
and maybe I've imagined it differently, but um, there's this picture like you might have seen ones like these before. Jesus, the good shepherd. Staff in one hand, the lamb under his arm. There's some great truth in that image, isn't there? He goes to seek and save the lost, uses his staff to collect them and takes us under his arm and tender with us. None can snatch us from his hands. Great relief and comfort and assurance there. But the actual task of a shepherd's probably not as cute and cuddly and clean as that looks, is it? Even one of the sheep looks like he's got a smile there. Not in this image, but my memory, and like I said, I might have it wrong, but in the image I have of that good shepherd in the window, his hands are pierced. There's blood dripping. What has it taken for the shepherd to take the lamb up into his arms like that? To take us up into his arms? Like King David, as a shepherd boy, had to deal with lions and bears and grab them by the beard and get the lambs out of their jaws. What has Christ had to contend with? What threats and predators are sin, the world, the devil and the wrath of God that he bore for us? What has he endured and suffered that we might have life? The thief comes, he says, only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I've got that image and we have the cross here next to it, don't we? Here is love vast as the ocean. I'm going to sing that in a moment. Do you know that love for you this morning? As the good shepherd has laid his life down for you, that love that Paul says is incomprehensible, it's beyond comprehension. It surpasses knowledge. And yet Paul prays in Ephesians, doesn't he? <laughs> that we might have the strength to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How can you know something that's beyond knowing? Not by studying it more, not by knowing about it, but by receiving it, by experiencing it, by it being revealed to us. by being embraced by it. An embrace that begins with Christ's arms spread open wide on the cross, held there not by the nails alone, but by his love for you. No one took his life. He gave it up. People often wonder about the you know, four dimensions that Paul says of that love. We live in a three-dimensional world, don't we? But, but that you would know the height and length and breadth and width of the love of Christ. And you can stand on a seashore and you could look and say, there's the length and breadth of the ocean. You can get in a boat and try to work out how deep it is, but how high... No, until you dive in and completely embraced by it all, then there's a height and a depth. It's only when you're in it that you ever get anything near four dimensions, isn't it? If I can put it that way. Physicists don't try to argue with me. It's only as we're taken in and under the fullness of the love of God, that whole ocean of love. It's a picture of baptism, isn't it? Being united with Christ in his death by faith. And then from within that love, through prayer and revelation too, we are raised up with him in newness of life. 
And in that we have the strength and the knowledge to know the unknowable love of Christ. The one who laid his life down for us. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. As we look at that image, as we look at the cross this morning, this Good Friday, would you behold the manner of love, see what kind of love the Father has for us, for you? Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, together with your Son, our Good Shepherd, who has laid his life down for us, and by your Spirit, would you grant to us this day the strength to know the unknowable love of Christ as we are loved by him as we see that love demonstrated to us on the cross as he lays his life down for us. And Father, would you open our ears to hear his voice, the voice of that good shepherd calling his sheep by name. And Father, if we are here this morning and we haven't heard that voice or maybe we have heard it but we're still not sure how to respond to it, would you call again? our own name, that we would follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.